0: Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Lord, I just thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you in particular for the dads. God, we just want to pray your blessing over them. Lord, we thank you for um, our fathers for their role in our life. Lord, we thank you for the men that are here, those that are watching with us online. God, we pray that you would make them men after the heart of God. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your grace upon them, that their hearts would be full of faith. You'd teach them and lead them as husbands and as fathers. And uh, God, that especially today, you'd bless them. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge you too. You're our father, the perfect father. Earthly dads are broken men in need of a savior, weak, but you're perfect. And so we look to you, Lord, and uh, we worship you as our father. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we're your children, that you've brought us into your kingdom that you're working in our lives for our good and your glory. And so, Lord, would your blessing just be on each one this morning? And as we come to your word today, Lord, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, insight into the things of God, understanding of your kingdom, Lord, that you would uh, just uh, bless this time by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... First Samuel 14, this is the middle chapter of three chapters that just show us, illustrate for us, concentrate for us on the, the life of King Saul. It gives us a picture of his leadership. And this chapter really contrasts uh, for us uh, fear and faith. And fear is illustrated in the life and in the actions of King Saul... The life of faith is illustrated in the actions of his son, Jonathan. Now, when we come to this text this morning, just as a way of a reminder, we know this, Saul has already lost the kingdom. Samuel has already announced that because of his unbelief and his disobedient actions towards the Lord that were driven by fear, uh, the kingdom is going to be taken from him and not passed down to his family. But his son, Jonathan, is going to be very present in this Story whom we were also introduced to last week. And Jonathan is a man who's very different from his father. Faith directs his actions. Faith in God brings victory in his life and for the nation of Israel. So let's read about Jonathan as he initiates an attack on the Philistines. So verse 1 says this, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison, on the other side, but he did not tell his father. Now, Jonathan has already had one victory against a Philistine garrison that he had initiated in a previous battle, and uh, it had led to victory for Israel, and he's feeling up for a fresh fight. So he says to his armor bearer, let's go to the other side, and he doesn't tell his father Saul. Now, verse two, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, in the pomegranate cave at Migron, The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's father, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So many of the soldiers were garrisoned with Jonathan, but meanwhile, King Saul is hiding out. He's got with him 600 soldiers, a personal force, who are serving as his bodyguard. They're hiding out in a cave. They're on the outskirts of town. These pictures are important for us. Saul's hesitating in fear and unbelief on the outside, the fringes, the outskirts of town, hidden in that cave. And meanwhile, what we see here is his son Jonathan is about to take steps of faith. And it's interesting because God had called Saul to lead the battle of liberation for the people of Israel against the Philistines. And what we're going to see about Saul, this comes up with him time and time again, is that typically he is on the heels of someone else. He is following someone else and and cleaning up or following up what they have started. And and it's kind of crazy because it's in spite of all that the Lord has done for him already. I mean, God has called him. Samuel has taught him, he has been anointed, he has been given the kingship of Israel, but he's not a man of faith, he's the, the people's choice. He's not a man of faith, he trusted the Lord and sought to glorify him. And so we're going to see this constant contrast between actions of fear and actions of faith. So verse 4, within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sena. The one crag rose to the north in front of Michmash, and the other to the, on the south in front of Geba. So what you've got here is a cliff on either side, a pass in between, and Jonathan, I think when we read this, has to go down one side and up the other, and they're literally called by these names. One is called Slippery Bozes, and the other one is called Thorny Sena. So this is treacherous territory that he's gonna to have to cross. It's slippery, it's covered in thorns, and it's and it's not exactly encouraging and motivating as he's about to step out and just test the waters of faith and see what God is doing. And it's and it's a picture for us because truly, and you know this in your own heart and life, steps of faith don't always involve the easiest path, do they? The path of least resistance. There is danger in uh, sometimes stepping out in faith. And for Jonathan, there is danger in navigating the territory that is under the watchful eye of the enemy and it's slippery and it's thorny. But verse six, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, I like that. Jonathan says, I'm not caught up in the numbers game. Numbers are nothing to the Lord. He describes the Philistines. He's a man of faith. He describes the Philistines as uncircumcised men. This isn't just a battle between Israel and the Philistines. Jonathan sees this as a battle between the covenant people of God and those who would count themselves as God's enemies. And and God's word tells us this, that that one person can chase, Deuteronomy 32, one person can chase a 1,000 when the Lord is on his side. And two can put 10,000 to flight. Now that's incredible math. 10,000. One man is incredible. Two men is exponentially powerful in the kingdom of God. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says, the people who know their God stand firm and they take action. So here's Jonathan. He's a man of action. And he says, let's go over there. Let's see what God will do. And I love that. You know, sometimes the only way to know if God is going to work is to step out and to take ventures of faith, to step out in faith. No- nothing happens when you're like Saul, hiding out in a cave, hiding out on the outskirts of town with bodyguards. God works when people trust Him and they step out in faith, and it's exciting. Sometimes you step out in faith and the Lord says, No. Have you had that happen? I've had that happen. I've stepped forward. And the door closed. And I'm like, okay, it's actually okay. I'm really happy that door closed because I've got clarity about the leading of the Lord. Or sometimes you step out in faith and God does something. But either way, you got to get out of the boat and make yourself available for the Lord to work through. William Carey said this, attempt great things for God and expect great things for God. What is a great thing for God? Well, I would say it's this. It's when you step out for God in something so big, unless he moves, unless he acts, you're done. It's doomed to fail. So it is step out and do something that's doomed to fail unless the Lord acts. And Jonathan stepped out into something bigger than himself. If God wasn't in this, it wasn't going to work. So he's a great example of faith for us. Now, verse seven, and his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Now I think how easy it would have been for this armor bearer to say, are you crazy? We're outnumbered. That hillside is slippery and the other one is covered in thorns. Forget it. I'm not going. It's, you know, easy to be the Karen, so to speak. I mean, that's the latest term, right? The negative Nancy But that wasn't the armor bearer. He said this, if this is what is in your heart, step out and do it. I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's do it. I'm in. And Jonathan said, I think God has put this on my heart. And the armor bearer says, all right, then let's see if God is in this. Verse 8. And Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them but if they say come up to us then we will go up for the lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us now again i think this is such good balance in the picture of faith for us because you know he says this if we step out and we get the sense that the lord is not in this we're not going to just forge ahead for the sake of forging ahead to our own harm And I I think this is good wisdom because often, you know, often we sit around and we're like, we wait for God to do something, like sit in the stands, waiting for him, hanging on the outskirts like Saul, saying, hey, Lord, you know, you got my number. Fire me a DM, send me a text, give me a call. Um, You know, if you want something, then I'll do it. But Jonathan, to me, is a way better example than Saul. He stood on the edge of the cliff. He said, let's see if God is in this thing. And, and then he stepped, he stepped forward to see if God was opening a door. And I just like it. It's a good balance. We won't force it open, but let's see if the Lord is opening it. And I might just ask you this morning, like, is there somewhere the Lord is calling you to step out in faith? Is it in your workplace? In your family? Something to do with ministry? Look at here's my encouragement. The action of faith is to just test the door, to take a step forward. Ask the Lord, open it or close it, Lord. And he says this, if I open the door, no man will shut it. And if I shut the door, no matter how hard you try, you will not be able to open it. You'll find yourself fighting against me. So verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. A little Philistine smack talk. Verse 12, and the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we'll show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furl's length in an acre of land. Whatever the heck that is, right? Not an acre. Verse 15. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. So here's Jonathan, his armor bearer. They step out. They say, let's see if God is in this. And God does way more than he would expect or imagine, which is what the scripture tells us, that God is able to do more than we would ask or imagine, more than Jonathan expected. He defeats 20 men, but God does this. He sends confusion. He sends... uh, uh, trembling an earthquake amongst the Philistines and in the midst of all of this somehow some way Saul and his men get a sense of what's going on and verse 16 tells us and the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold the multitude was dispersing here and there so there is confusion going on everywhere Number verse 17 then Saul said to the people who were with him count and see who has gone from us and when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. So Saul comes into this story, there's all this noise and chaos going on and Saul figures out that Jonathan his son and the armor bearer are missing and so he does this he tells the priest to bring the ark of the covenant to consult the lord now the last time that we have like read about the ark of Co- the covenant in this book of first samuel goes all the way back nearly to the beginning of it and we saw this we saw the israelites bring the ark of the covenant as he uh, superstitious, treating it as a superstitious pagan religious item. They brought it into battle with them, and the Lord said, I'm not gonna allow you to treat my presence that way, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, and they had it for a period of time, which was not good for them, before it was returned to them, and we have never read about the Ark since that encounter. But now here's Saul again, and I go, what is the Ark of the Covenant doing there? should Saul shouldn't have taken it into battle. This is once again the presence of God being treated superstitiously. Saul's got it there because he thinks it's going to help him win the battle. But as the chaos among the Philistines grows louder and louder, Saul says to the priest, "You know what? Just remove your hand. There isn't time for this. There's not time to seek the Lord." The priest never had time to determine what God was saying because Saul made his own decision. And here he is. This is the, Saul, the man of flesh, impatient, lack of self-control. It got the better of him, and he acted without knowing God's will or receiving God's blessing. His personal agenda takes priority. Let's see what happens. Israel enters into the fray here. Verse 20, and Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. Now this is crazy. Jonathan steps out in faith, and what we find out is this, is that there are even Israelites who have swapped allegiances in the middle of everything. They're with the Philistines. They're hanging out at the Philistine garrison. And as Jonathan steps out in faith and God blesses him, Israel finds courage, but these Who've, people who have swapped allegiance also find courage. Those hiding in caves find courage, and they surface, and they come out and join the people of God. It's amazing. All it took was a step of faith from Jonathan and his armor bearer, and God began to turn things around. And, you know, I was, I was, somebody said to me, how come you didn't talk about the church in this area this morning? I said, because this text is so big, I was slashing stuff out of my notes even this morning. But I said, well, maybe I'll say it in the second service. But I have to say this. You know, like, I would tell you as your pastor, I watched other pastors step out, and I said, wow, those are men of courage. I want to be like that. Now, I think that as we've opened, we've seen that. We've inspired one another in faith and the Lord to step out and to say, hey, let's, let's make sure our allegiances are in the right spot. Let's come out of our caves as followers of Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. Step forward in faith and not live as fearful men. And it's amazing what can happen when God's people step out in faith. I'm so encouraged about what's happening in our church. And I'm encouraged by those who have gone before. Now, verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle pa- passed on to Beth-Avon. So I love this. The Lord saved Israel. It wasn't Saul who saved them. It wasn't Jonathan. It was the Lord's battle. He won it. It was his victory. He saved them. And this, wouldn't you know it, this is where Saul decides he's going to get involved. (laughs) You know, that's not going to be good. You know, this guy is like so unpredictable. One day, you, you don't know what you're getting, actually. It's like one day he's a stubborn mule. He's holding back and he's hiding out. And the next day he's rushing out like a racehorse. So Saul didn't win this battle. The Lord won the battle, but here he comes and he's going to enter into the fray with lots of foolish words that are going to create trouble. He's going to make a foolish vow. Check it out, verse 24. The men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid on them an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now I just think, how stupid is that? This is your army. These men have been in battle. They are hard-pressed by war. They are pursuing the enemy. Pursuing the enemy as the Lord has sent confusion into their ranks, and any sensible person knows this, that an army needs food for energy to fight in battle. Men can overcome incredibly difficult circumstances when their stomachs are full. Like a lot of things just, you know, you can deal with a lot of things if you just got food in your belly. But when you're battling on an empty stomach, well, it's like your car. An empty fuel tank is not going to take you very far. Now, this wasn't from the Lord. This is Saul. This was rash behavior by Saul so that, that he could say, I want to be avenged against my enemies in This was an insecure man making the battle of the Lord about himself. These weren't weren't his enemies any more than they were enemies of Israel. The Philistines were the enemies of the Lord. Now, verse 25. Now, when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth for fear. For the people feared the oath. Can you imagine this? You're in battle, you're hungry, you're in pursuit of the enemy, and you come to a food source and uh, an energy source, and literally it is yours for the taking. Literally yours for the taking. Honey for the taking. There's no dishes to do here. (laughs) Hey? Nothing to cook. No need for a fire. No need to, you know, grind the grain and make bread and have to bake it. No animal to harvest. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. The honey is literally dropping on the ground. It's not up high in a tree. It's right on the ground. There's never been an easier food source ever. Never been easier energy to source. Couldn't be simpler. Couldn't be easier. You just take it and it touches your lips and you're re-energized. Your muscles are refreshed and you can continue on and pursue the enemy. But Look at this is the influence of Saul. He is the man of the flesh. He's the carnal fleshly man. And he said this to the priest, there is no time to wait for the Lord. And he said this to his army, there is no time for you to eat. Saul took away the two most important things needed. He's the man of the flesh. Saul is the picture of your battle against your fleshly appetites, desires, and persuasions. And the flesh will say this to you. There's no time to wait on the Lord. More pressing things have come up. There's chaos out there. The enemy is already running. There's no time. There's no need to wait on the Lord because the battle is already won. Why would you take any more time to further wait on the Lord? That is the voice of the flesh. God's word says, be still, wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Lamentations 3, Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The flesh says, things are pressing. You can't wait. Things are pressing. You can't eat. The Bible actually is compared. The the word of God uses honey as a way of illustrating itself. In Scripture, honey is one of the ways God's word is illustrated in its sweetness, in its energy that it provides. Jeremiah said this, your words came to me and I ate them. It was like honey on my lips, sweet to my taste. Honey, you know, like enlightens your eyes. My mom brought brought me a jar of honey actually for Father's Day. And I'm like, I was thinking about this morning. I'm like, wow, it's amazing that you brought me that, mom. Because I'm like, I looked at it and I'm like, my eyes, Literally, they brighten. I'm like, I can't wait to crack into that jar of honey. Honey helps you see. It's nourishment. It brings clarity of vision because when you're hungry, you lose your ability to see because you can't see beyond your appetite. You can't see beyond your stomach when you're hungry. Vision is amazing. Vision can be hindered by appetite. And honey on the lips is nourishment to the body, and it enlightens your eyes. But the man of flesh would say to you, there are more pressing matters this day. There's no time to feast on the honey of God's word. The enemy's already on the run. Jonathan started the battle. Jesus has won. No time for a meal in God's word. Church, The word of God is like honey on the ground. Never an easier meal prepared. No dishes, no prep work, no cleanup. Just take and eat. Take it and be nourished. Be strengthened for the battle. Fill your tank for the long haul. Get your vision corrected and your eyes enlightened by the heavenly food source. But the flesh will always say the words of Saul, no time, no time to wait on the Lord, no time to feed on the honey of his word. Verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard his father's charge. Sorry, but Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. What a great picture. The word of God's like honey on your lips. It will brighten your eyes. And, and, you know, I just think, you know, eat the honey. Eat the honey before you're discouraged and weary. Look at what happens in verse 28. And one of the people said, your father, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed. Be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this, honey? Yeah, just a little bit. Jonathan, Jonathan my, my father has troubled the land. This is, this is the voice of foolishness, of stupidity. The voice of the foolish man. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. When it just takes a little honey to liven your eyes, Jonathan spoke on, verse thirty. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found? For now, the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Incredible, Jonathan, you know could identify. Yes, we've had victory, but the victory was not what it could have been. We we could have been more decisive if the people had just had the opportunity to eat, but without food, they just didn't have the energy to put the enemy to flight in the same way. And look at this is true for us, right? Is our enemy defeated in Jesus Christ, the victor? Yes, absolutely. But without feasting, on the honey of his word, the enemy will not be put to flight in the same way in our lives. There, there, there could be more. There could be greater defeat for the enemy. God wants to do more, amen? Don't you believe that? We have to wait on him. We have to feast on his word. Now verse 31 says, they struck down the Philistines that day from Micmash to Ajalon." The people were very faint. That's the third time we've been told they're faint. The people pounced on the spoil, and they took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. That's where sin creeps into this story for all the people of Israel. Saul kept the people from honey, and they were so weakened— that they did not have the strength to fight the fleshly urges. They didn't have the strength to fight the appetites of the flesh, the desires to eat. And because that was the case, they ate of an unclean food source. This is important to the story. They weren't to consume meat with blood in it. That was sin against the Lord. But they were weak, they hadn't been eating. Eating the, you know. Eating the honey of the word will keep you from eating unclean food sources. And we all battle against the appetites and desires of the flesh. And the best way to battle is to make sure your stomach is already full. To make sure that you've already feasted. Because when you run on empty, you'll eat anything. You'll go to all sorts of things. You'll eat of unclean food in order to find satisfaction. They say one of the most dangerous times for you when you're vulnerable for sin is even when you're hungry. We want to feed on the word of God. Verse 33. Then they told Saul, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. He He said, You've dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him. That night, they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he had built. So now Saul steps in tries to be the hero after the fact. He's he's created an environment for this to happen. And I think the most tragic statement about Saul is in verse 35. It says this again. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. To me, that's shocking. The first altar? The first? You're the king. You set the tone for the nation. You've never saw, you've never made time to worship. It's never been a priority. You're years into your kingship. And you've never taken the initiative to build an altar. And when he does, it's just in response to the mess that he's made. Church, make your life an altar. Don't wait to make it in response to something that's gone wrong. Don't make it the mistake of making it a response to sin. Make it an altar because Jesus is worthy of his worship. Make your life an altar. Make your life an altar because your sin has been forgiven and Christ has saved you. Not because of after the fact. Get out in front. Then we read in verse 36. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. So Saul silenced God earlier in this chapter and now God won't answer him. And Saul has no sense to recognize that he's the problem. He's the problem. And and the focus of these chapters, the focus of this section, is to show us the failure of this man Saul. His failure as king. Verse 38. We're going to move pretty quick through the back of this chapter. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives... Who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son? O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if the guilt is in the people of Israel, give Thuman. And Saul and sorry and Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, "Cast a lot between me and my son Jonathan." And Jonathan was taken. And Saul said to Jonathan, "Tell me what you've done." And Jonathan told him, "I tasted." a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. And Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Uh, Isn't this crazy? It's like totally crazy. And Jonathan's response highlights the craziness of it. Like, okay, I had some honey. I guess I'll die. I guess I'll die. And it's shocking to me, even as you read this, that it's like, as Saul questions the people, it's like, everyone knows it's Jonathan, except Saul. He's totally clued out to everything that's going on. So verse 45, then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel far from it? As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. So the people ransomed the son Jonathan here. Now verse 47, summary of Saul's kingship. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against all the kings of Zobah, kings of the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, Malchishua. The names of his two daughters were these. The name of his firstborn was Merab, and the name of his younger, Michael. She's going to become David's wife, verse 50. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner the father of Abner, the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw a strong man, or any valiant man, he attached himself to him just like Samuel had prophesied. Samuel said, God is going to give you the king that you desire, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take. He will take of your young men. And just like Samuel prophesied, the young men were drafted into the army of Saul. And so as we consider this chapter, just the pictures of steps of faith and actions of fear that we see. I mean, I would just say this to you. um, As much as we like to, I'm like, I don't want to put myself in the shoes of Jonathan. (laughs) You and I are far more like Saul. Jesus is the one who stood in Jonathan's place. We trust Jesus. We look to Jesus. We follow him into battle against the enemy. We trust Jesus to lead us through life and death. We look to him, church. Jesus is our Jonathan. And what we have to do is put that man of flesh to death through the power of the Spirit. I want to be men and women who wait on the Lord, who feast on the honey of his word. Let's pray this morning. Lord, God, would you give us hearts after you? Lord, would you set your hearts upon us? Lord, we pray that we would grow in the skill of waiting, that we grow in the skill of feasting on your word. Lord, there isn't a life here that isn't hard-pressed and turned towards being frantic and rushed. But Lord, we thank you. You're, You're never in a rush. You're not in a panic. And you desire to lead us by your spirit. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we don't have to rush ahead. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to plow forward in our flesh, but that we can trust you by your spirit to lead us. And so, Lord, help us to wait. Help us, Lord, to know to feast on the sweet word of God that enlightens our eyes and satisfies our hunger. I pray, Lord, that even as the day goes on today when fleshly appetites rear their head. That it would be your word that satisfies the hunger of our soul. That we wait on you. Lord, this morning, I just thank you for your people. Pray your grace upon them, upon the dads in particular today, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.